Thank you, Kevin. Good morning. It's lovely to be here, uh, a new church for me. I know what you're thinking. The answer is six foot six. <laughs> Saves you all asking me afterwards. My name's Richard, Richard Coles. Uh, I come uh, from Somerset, um, the positive jewel of the Southwest. Uh, <laughs> it's lovely to be here. Um, re- up till very recently, my family and I have worshipped at Martok Christian Fellowship, where Chris Spracklin was our pastor. And I know that Chris is known to many of you in years gone by. Chris and I have been colleagues uh, when I've worked for that church as the youth worker. Um, our family have recently moved to St. Clair's Chapel in Somerton, uh, where I'll be taking up the post of a uh, teaching pastor uh, in September. Uh, so I'll work for the church one day a week, teach 26 Sundays a year in the church, be out and about as well in other churches around the southwest and continue my unusual job. I like to tell people what my job is because one day I hope someone's going to say, yes, that's what I do too. So I work for, I'm a teacher, I work at the Park School in Yeovil and I'm head of religious studies and computer science. Anyone else? No? Okay, it is just me, I think, in the whole country. Too long at university, but there we go. It's, it's lovely to work in a, I work in a Christian school, uh, and there's a great freedom there in how I can teach religious studies, uh, which I greatly appreciate. I've got two boys, uh, Edward and Harry, uh, who have both gone home with Mum Ruth. We've been at DCYC Junior Mixed all week. Uh, if I start to nod off during this talk, it's not because I'm boring myself, even if I'm boring you, I apologise. Um, but someone could just poke me and wake me up, that'd be great. Kevin has uh, very kindly offered me the services of a spare room uh, between the morning and evening service, and I might just well take him up on it, but there we go. Now, I believe we're all going through the book of Matthew, is that right? At the moment, good, and we've got to Matthew 14, and is it possible to have the scripture up on the wall? That's brilliant, thank you. Um, Matthew 14, the, the uh, verses I've been given are um, starting from verse 13, uh, but today I will uh, just preach on fif- from 15 onwards, because uh, uh, otherwise we, I think we'll be pushing our time a little bit. So I'll use, the, uh, I'll use the copy that's going to be on the wall behind me from the NIV. Uh, Matthew 14, starting at 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, that was about the, the death of John the Baptist, by the way, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
the number of those who ate was about 5,000 besides women and children. Thank you for this glass of water. Thank you. I wonder if we could skip back to the screen to verse 15, please, and we'll, we'll go through starting there. This morning we're going to go through verse by verse to see how this conversation unfolds because there's a real development here in what happens in, the, in this dialogue between Jesus and his disciples uh, and then what happens. So we're going to start at verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. As I've already told you, this week I've been at Devon Christian Youth Camp's junior mix. And my responsibility was the Bible teaching. The job they give that is, or the job title is, is Padre. But my wife, she was the nurse. And she would spend her time going around and giving out medicines and so on. She's a nurse by profession. Other people were in the kitchens. The people in the kitchens were often up before me and went to bed after me. There were people doing site maintenance and so forth, you know, banging the pegs in and, and things like that, people cleaning up the toilets and you know, making sure that all the safeguarding policies were done. And the thing is, if all these little jobs, or big jobs even, in the background weren't fulfilled by someone, then I couldn't preach the gospel because there wouldn't be the structure around to bring the kids to camp. You know, ministry of any sort, be it proclaiming the word of God or counselling or praying with folk or coffee mornings or doing cap courses or whatever else that you do here at Great Parks, it can never be done in a vacuum because we know that we are, we are physical beings. For this time anyway, we are as God made us, which are physical beings in a physical space with physical needs. And it's right and proper that as Christians, we don't become sort of dualists in the way we consider matter and spirit. It's not that praying is good and eating is bad, for we've been created by God to inhabit the world as it is in this age. And so we've got to be easy on the disciples here as they start off this conversation in verse 15. You see, there was a practical need that needed to be met. And they recognized it. There were a lot of people there. And they were getting hungry. There were a lot of people there, and they were getting hungry. And just in the same way as I found a glass of water here, someone has kindly thought that that might be an important thing for someone who's going to speak for 25 minutes to have, so the disciples realized that these people needed food in their bellies. Now, at DCYC or Menadue Camps or wherever else, places like that, sometimes we get low on food, and you just send someone out in the car, and they go to... Liddles in Dartmouth, wherever it may be, and picks them up. But we're in a context here where that wasn't possible, and the problem still remained. And so we find ourselves in a bit of a Mary and Martha situation, don't we? Because there's ministry going on. These people are with Jesus, and yet they need something to eat. Well, in verse 16, Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat there's a nuance in jesus response does jesus say that the people are wrong in their assertion that these people need feeding no in fact jesus agrees with them yes they do need feeding 
but you give them something to eat. This isn't a call to enforced fasting. Jesus isn't saying, no, it's good, these people are with me, and so they must fast. In fact, he talks about that explicitly at other points in the scriptures. After all, when Jesus said, is life not more important than food, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't saying that food wasn't important. He was simply stating that once you've had your breakfast and your lunch and your dinner, now that's your body sorted out. But we're also spiritual beings that need feeding, the part of us that is eternal, the part of us that will live on forever when our soul dies in one state or another. That needs attention. And so Jesus applies a principle, the same principle. Perhaps we can take the liberty of slightly rewording the statement. It's like he's saying, yes, they do need something to eat, but my presence is important. It is not right that we should send them away from my presence merely so that they can eat. This reminds me, this brief exchange, of the call of our Lord to bring balance to our lives, to bring moderation rather than abstinence. You know, the the appropriate antidote to, to vanity is not false modesty. The appropriate antidote to gluttony is not a permanent fast. And equally, the days of our lives, and there are days for some of us I know quite often when we find ourselves burdened with unavoidable practical busyness are not days where we simply say, well, I haven't got time to pray today, so I just won't bother. We are pilgrims of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. And we need to be mindful of both. And that's what Jesus was saying. These people need to eat, but it's not right that you send them away. Well, verse 17 is their response. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, actually, and you would be right to think that I would, it's time now to move away on sort of a a discourse on Christian ethics because something much more wonderful happens here. This is a miracle. This is a miracle that Jesus did, a miracle that happened that's recorded for us as a historic event Now look at the order of events here and just reflect upon our own lives and our own Christian walk. The disciples had spotted a real practical need that needed to be dealt with. Now, rather than asking the Lord what they should do, they present him with a solution. They don't ask Jesus what to do about this. They present him with a solution. Rather than saying, Lord, what action needs to be taken here? They say, oh, Lord, we've worked it out. It's now time to say goodbye. These people now need to go off to the villages. Jesus' response to them is not to disagree with their diagnosis. Yes, the people are hungry. But rather to say, your remedy is wrong. They don't need to go. Will you feed them, he says. Now, in this verse, the disciples point out to Jesus the obvious. And we know it's obvious. They knew this was the case before they even spoke to the Lord in verse 15. We don't have the resources to do this, Jesus. We don't have at hand what we need. That was the whole point of sending them away in the first place. And how often do we repeat this in our lives? Lord, 
Here is a problem. Something must be done. Here is something. Therefore, it must be done. Lord, bless my solution to the problem. Do we do that? I can see in my life where I've done that. I haven't realized or planned to do it, but I've done it. And the problem was, was that these disciples were trying to solve the problem they had within the limits of their own abilities, their own resources, and their own creativity. In actual fact, humanly speaking, their solution was about the most practical and sensible that could have been offered. I mean, after all, what else would you have done? But this is what it looks like to live by human wisdom. This is what it looks like to live in our own creativity and strength. It's not that we're living in ways that are necessarily unethical or uncaring or unloving, but what we can do is to limit the sovereignty and the power of Christ in us by pointing out our own limits and our own boundaries we can bottleneck the work of the kingdom through us by our own talents or abilities or wealth we simply approach god and use him as a clerk to rubber stamp our own conclusions and here is exactly what the disciples were doing well verse 18 jesus tells them exactly what to do with their resources bring them here to me he said bring them here to me now we've recognized that the work of jesus in our lives should never be confined to our own limits and our own resources but that doesn't mean that the lord does not want to use what you have in his work in your life i play in a band i play electric lead guitar in a band But the very fact that I might turn up to a band practice and I see there are other musicians there doesn't mean that I should say, oh, well, you don't need me. You've got a drummer and a bassist and a a rhythm guitarist and someone playing keyboard. So why would you need me? If I do that and walk away, the band is incomplete. Equally, if I turn up and I say to my other fellow band members, well, you can all go home because I'm here now with my electric guitar. Well, then the band is far from incomplete let me share with you a beautiful truth from god's word in first corinthians 3 verse 9 paul says for we are co-workers in god's service from the context of what paul is paul is saying he's almost certainly talking about with one another as the church but then in second corinthians 6 1 paul calls us co-workers with christ that we are co-workers with christ the lord wants to work with us and through us the lord did not say to the disciples no you just clear off i'll deal with this problem i'll deal with it on my own there'll just be a divine intervention here such that you are completely sidelined no said the lord bring to me what you have You cannot solve the problem on your own, not satisfactorily anyway, but I still want the involvement of what you have got, as little that it may be. That little they had wasn't even theirs to start with, really, but they offered it to Jesus, and they were co-workers with him. 
on that occasion, on that occasion in dealing with that need. And it was multiplied beyond comprehension. And friends, that remains true today. Whatever you have in your life, in terms of what's in your pocket, or what's in your head, or what's in your garage, or what you can do with your hands, or what you can do with your mouth, or whatever it may be, Jesus says, bring it to me. You're not going to solve the world's problems on your own. But I still want to use what you have got so that together we can make progress in the kingdom of God. Bring it to him. Bring your lives to him. Be a living sacrifice for him as co-workers with Christ. You know, the trouble with living sacrifices is that they can crawl off the altar. Living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. And I, I make two observations of, of how that might interact with this passage. You know, sometimes we can crawl off the altar because we stop offering ourselves to God because we just think we can do it on our own. We can just do it in our own strength. We can do it of our own solutions. That's because we don't believe that God needs to add to us the disciples solution to this very real problem that jesus agrees with was totally in their own strength totally within their own imagination well, i say imagination is in terms of you know what they could conceive they didn't come with what they had they came with their solution and when we do that we crawl off the altar because we're saying god you don't need to add to me i can do this by myself but there's another way in which we can crawl off the altar. It's not because we don't. It's not because we don't. Re, it's not. Sorry. It's not because we think that God doesn't need to add to us. It's because we think God can't add to us. How could you use me, Lord? How could you use me? I'm, I'm not very good at speaking, or I'm not very good at with my hands. Or I'm not very good with other people, or I, or I get stressed in certain situations. How could you possibly use me? And we don't have the faith that God, by His grace in Christ, will add to what we have, so we can be useful co-workers with Christ in the kingdom. Both are folly, and both we start to miss our purpose that has been uh, preordained by Jesus. Instead, we have here an example to follow. Bring them to me, as little as it was. And let's look at the result in verse 19. And he, that is Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Notice again how the disciples were absolutely involved in this as co-workers. They weren't stood back on the sidelines watching the Lord do it all, but without the Lord they could not do it. Now, I don't want to overanalyze this verse, but there is an echo of something here from the scriptures that I would like to, I would like to point out. Notice what they gave to Jesus was broken and consumed. It, it was used. It, it wasn't coming back. Well, actually, maybe more on that later, but it wasn't coming back in the state. They gave it to him. It, it wasn't 
that the loaves and the fishes weren't on loan to Jesus. They were given to Jesus. They were offered up to him. And when we offer up that that we have to the Lord, our lives, our resources, our talents and abilities, we should expect them to be consumed in the work of the kingdom of God. That's not a, that's not a negative, that's a positive. But we should still expect it. We don't loan ourselves to Christ saying, well, I would like to have, have all of that back, please, next week, because I've got my own agenda too. And the echo that I'm hearing here I'd like to refer to is the words of the Lord in John 12, 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That doesn't mean that Jesus treats our offerings with contempt. But it does mean that once we surrender what we have to him, we will expect them to be used in unexpected ways. This is a good thing. But it takes courage. Let's be honest about that. It takes courage to live like that. You see, if the disciples had kept quiet about the little food they had, the few loaves and fish, then a few people would have been fed. And no more. They would have still been consumed, but not in the, under the direction of the Lord. And as such, the disciples would not have been co-workers with God at this point. They would have not of being co-workers, and the needs of the people would not have been met, but the resources would still have been consumed. Your talents, your abilities, your time, your money, your energy will be consumed by something. You won't take it with you at the end. You can't keep it all. Are you going to offer it to the Lord? fearlessly and courageously and say you use these things lord tell me what to do with these things or will you allow them to be consumed in another way are we brave enough to offer ourselves with this level of freedom it's not for the faint-hearted but the rewards of being used in the kingdom will be breathtaking verse 20 says They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The 12 is surely significant, but we'll leave matters of numerology on the side for now. But as we finish here, I I want us to conclude with a few short thoughts. Jesus used the small offering that was made by his disciples to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. So assuming each man had a wife and one child, we're talking 15,000 actually. But there was an abundance left over that was more than they even started with. What can we say about this? The disciples had given away every resource they had at that point. There was nothing else to give. But the blessing was such that they found it hard to pick up the remnant. Now, this is not a suggestion here of what some people in recent years have called a prosperity gospel. 
There is no suggestion that if we give away everything we have to the Lord, the Lord will make us rich in this world, although clearly some people have been blessed in that way. But it does remind us that the Lord is no man's debtor. If you bring to him career, home, security, money, family or position or anything else in your life, if you are genuinely here in the call of the Lord saying, bring it to me, bring to me those resources and within your life offer them and offer yourself as that living sacrifices, it doesn't mean actually that you'll get it back. But you can be absolutely sure that it will not be wasted. It will not be wasted. And there'll be no better way to see it consumed. I pray for all of us that as we continue our walk with the Lord, we will will become more willing to freely offer up every good gift that has been given to us for his work, for his glory, and that daily we may know the reality more and more of what it means to be a co-worker in his kingdom, not one who comes with our own solutions and neither one who stands aside and just waits for a supernatural thunderbolt to happen, but there in the middle with Christ in a hurting world, with the little we have, and the saviour of the world directing our every walk. And so it's appropriate, I think, for us to sing in response, I will offer up my life, 990. I will offer up my life in spirit of truth, pouring out the oil love as my worship to you. In surrender I must give. In every part, Lord, receive the sacrifice of a broken heart. Let us just pray as we prepare to do that. Lord, gracious Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you will continue day by day and over the coming week to open our hearts. Tell us, Lord, what is it you want us to bring to you? What resource or ability or whatever it may be, what do we have that you want from us, Lord? Let us hear clearly from you. Should there be anything in our lives that you are saying, bring it to me and give us the God-given courage and trust to offer it up to you as we long to see you work powerfully in this church and beyond. Jesus' name. Amen.